Hello, and welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, and I'm back with Johnny. Johnny, you haven't been with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, something about, you know, late nights at the hospital or something. Something like that. <laughs> um, and then we have a guest with us, um, Dave Trena. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carl. Hey, Johnny. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, uh, Dave, I know a little bit about you, but I, you know, at this podcast, we're going to be talking about your um, your work and uh, advertising and branding and all that. Could you give us just a little bit of background about you and um, you know what what got you to where you are right now? Yeah, I will. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. So, um, my so let, let me start with how I decided that I wanted to be in the path that I'm in. So when I was about 12 years old, we had one of those career days at school. And I had and have a mother who is just incredible. And somehow she decided, because I like to draw, that she was going to set me up with this advertising agency in downtown Atlanta on the 30th floor of this high rise. She called, spoke to creative director, got me in. And I actually spent the day, my, my career day, when I was in middle school, hanging out with art directors at this ad agency at the 30th floor with sweeping views of Atlanta, just drawing insects. Orkin was their biggest client. So we were drawing <laughs> insects. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. These guys are getting paid to do this. This is nuts. And so from the time I was 12 years old, I knew I wanted to go into the creative profession. I wanted to be a, a graphic designer. So um, that's the path that I, that I took. And, uh, I went to school um, at BYU, graduated with a degree in graphic design. Uh, from there, moved to Seattle, spent about five years in Seattle working for a couple of agencies. And uh, while I was there, ended up doing a lot of work with Microsoft and then moved to San Diego where my wife is from. And after that move, some of my contacts at Microsoft reached out to me and wanted to work with me and directly. That was the beginning of, of yeah. my my business. It was just too much work to take on just a freelance basis. So I needed to bring on help. And that was kind of the uh, the, the genesis of our little agency. So you didn't plan on originally starting your own agency. It just kind of grew kind of organi organically. Yeah, not at all, man. When, when I moved to San Diego, I had this this dream of working for this amazing design studio here called Muriello Grafico. And I'd been following them for years. And I was so stoked when I got the job. And I left after three months. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was definitely not in my plans. The, uh, the dream job turned, turned uh, into a quick, uh, quick stint. <laughs> yes, yes. But luckily, it was, it was a fortuitous, although short, uh, stint at that place because I ultimately ended up buying that agency, acquiring that agency oh, really? later in my career, along awesome. with some of the key people who are now very, very key people in my agency today. So it, it, it all worked out beautifully. That's a great story. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we might touch on a few other kind of background aspects of what you've done, I'm sure, as we kind of get through some of these questions here. But, um, but yeah, thanks. Okay. So like you said, you have a background in creative processes. You're, that's what your company does, which by the way, is train a design, right? That's the name of just, the company. It used to be Traina Design, and now it's just just Traina. 
Trina. Okay. Well, um, so I guess the, the question for, so once again, po the, the podcast audience, learn it from a layman, kind of the basics of, of advertising, basics of branding. What is the most important element of branding? So have, have either of you guys ever been through a branding project or, or a rebrand? I branded myself to my wife. Um, like I, I must've done a pretty good job I and mean, she bought in and, uh, no, I mean, I, okay. I have no idea. Some personal branding. How about you, Johnny? Yeah, only out on the ranch. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Different, so. different forms of branding. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the logo. No, I, I'm kidding. It's definitely not the logo. <laughs> there is this. <laughs> There I knew it. Very, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a very common belief out there that a brand is a logo, and that is not the case. And I, I think most people are aware of that. Um, a brand is not a logo. Uh, a brand is a complex living and breathing organism. Um, I think it's important to point out that there are elements that make up a brand. It's it, like I said, it's it's kind of complicated, but there are three main categories of of elements that make up a brand. One is brand strategy. The second is verbal identity. And the third is visual identity. And those three things together make up a brand. Now, typically the most important element in that mix is the brand strategy, because that's really the, the foundation for the brand and for the business. Uh, brand decisions, personnel decisions, business decisions are, are driven by brand strategy. But even within brand strategy, there are a lot of different elements. And depending on the type of company that you have, which of those elements are most important uh, can vary. So for example, if you're, if you're starting up a, uh, a nonprofit company and you, and you wanna motivate donors to give to your cause, your, your mission and your purpose are going to be the most important elements of your brand. Uh, if you're a software developer and you're launching a SaaS product in a highly competitive market, your, your, your strategic positioning is going to be the most important element of your brand. Uh, and if you're a retailer hoping to connect with Gen Z, then your brand values are probably going to be one of, if not the most important element of your brand. So it really depends on the company, but ultimately it, it all boils down to brand strategy because everything else, all the other elements of a brand are founded on that strategy. Okay. Now yeah. you mentioned a bunch of different types of uh, companies that, uh, and, and the different ways that branding would be relevant to them. Um, as in your agency, what are, I guess, you know, when people are coming to you, are they looking for a long-term relationship? Are they looking for, I mean, like I'd imagine a nonprofit, I mean, doesn't do you have established long-term uh, relationships with all the companies that come to you, or are some of these just short contracts? Uh, the answer is yes. So <laughs> okay. it it's it, it, there's kind of a natural flow to how we work with our clients. So normally it begins with a brand engagement. So a client comes to us and they need to either build a brand from scratch or build a product brand for something they're launching or they're an existing company and they need to reinvigorate their brand. They need to refresh or, or rebrand. 
that initial engagement is all, almost always project-based. It's, it's based on a scope of work. It has a, a defined time frame within which that project will be executed as a start date and it has an end date. So most of the work that we do is project-based. That's the simple answer. In many cases, our clients have the resources internally. Like for example, if they're a Fortune 500 or, or enterprise scale company, they probably have an internal creative department. So what we're doing in that case is we're, we're giving them the tools that we've built for them. And the whole point is to empower them to then use those tools to activate their brand across all of their touch points. But in those situations where we're dealing with companies that don't have those internal resources, but need an arm, a, a creative arm to continue to help them go to market, then we move from that project-based scope into more of a long-term retainer. And some of our clients take a hybrid approach to working with agencies. So they have an in-house team, but they also recognize the benefit of having an outside objective agency to complement yeah. that in-house team. And, and they use both. And uh, that's we've seen the most success in, uh, in those types of engagements. Okay. Now, if I had to put this in perspective of our podcast, I'd say our branding person is probably Johnny. Um, <laughs> and I think we might need a rebrand, Dave. Can we can we get working <laughs> on that? <laughs> uh, you know, no. <laughs> it, it, it just, I, I, we can talk about it. There's definitely a time when it come, comes time for a rebrand. But Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, Johnny has before commented that our podcast needed to rebrand a long time ago. Um, but... Uh, the no the I guess the question here is so like a I mean a pod it sounds silly right our podcast I, if we have a brand it's the the layman brand it's the uh, we're we're learning as we go along brand but the um, when do companies you know if, if I were to say this podcast were a company which it's not uh, but when do companies need to start thinking about you know brand strategy and you know what uh, is this something they need to into their like plans when for starting up or is, you know, at what point do, do they grow into that yeah early <laughs> now yesterday <laughs> much much sooner than most people think uh in fact i think it was just two or three days ago uh, i got a, an inquiry from uh, someone starting a business and they were asking about um a rebrand or a, a, a new brand and a website and looking to launch that at the end of May, which is nine or 10 weeks away. So it, it's, it's not, not possible. So there is, there is so much that, that goes into, look, as we talked about it earlier, branding is much more than a logo and a website, right? It's, it's foundational for any business. So it, it shapes internal culture. It, it helps to uh, drive recruitment, um, messaging, product development. Uh, it, it just, it can inform your choice of, of a company name even. So that's, that's how yeah. early a company should be thinking about the brand. The longer they wait, the more limited they are in some of those early important choices they can make in getting alignment and really setting a strong foundation. Now, obviously, any, every company should be thinking about their brand. Every organization should be thinking about their brand to some degree. And, and we have a list of scenarios that should trigger a rebrand. 
for, for any company. I'm happy to share them with, with your listeners. Um, I'll share my, my email address at some point. Um, sure. It's David at wearetraina.com. Um, but basically, when the, when the brand no longer aligns with your company and, and, and no longer supports your vision, or as I like to say, your reputation is no longer keeping up with your reality, it's time for a rebrand. Okay. And the rebrand process, I'd imagine, like for, for a startup, I guess it could still be painful, but you're, you're early on, you know, shifting gears might be a little bit easier than if you're, you know, uh, a big company in fifth gear cruising along and uh, all of a sudden you need a rebrand. That's going to be uh, going to drop the transmission out a little bit. Right. I mean, we're, that's a pretty heavy lift. It is. It is. And, you know, it's I hate to break it down to tactical stuff, but it's it's really about CapEx. When you think about the capital expenditure that goes into rebranding a a major company that has uh, brand assets in in the you know millions of dollars, um, having to re-skin, uh, recover, re-sign, update all of those assets can can be a very expensive journey. For a startup, it's it's definitely an investment when it's done right. Branding is not something that should be done quickly or rushed. It's not something that should be considered uh, a, a low-cost, tertiary consideration when it comes to all of the things that a, that a founder or founders must consider. Mm-hmm. But doing it right the first time is way more cost-effective than shortchanging it the first time around Hopefully the business grows in spite of that, but then you end up down the road with an app and a website and signage and business cards and, and, and so many other brand touch points that at that point need to be redone. Not to mention just the uh, re-education of, of your organization and the rallying around an entirely new uh, brand strategy often. I've seen this. Okay. Um, like some companies that I've worked for where they try to rebrand. And a lot of times it's really difficult, especially on the employees, because they're used to what basically what they've made the brand to be. Um, even if it's not, you know, wasn't their intention, people are used to having things a certain way. And I think as a human, you don't want to change and you don't like change. It's uncomfortable to change. Um, so I've seen a lot of uh, fallout from uh, companies trying to rebrand. Um, I've also worked for companies that trying to reinvigorate their brand and do a really good job of trying to involve the employees in, uh, in you know, in the branding strategy and what they think it should be. Um, I think a, a lot of times, um, I don't really know how to say this. It seems like the brand wants to focus on, you know, who these people that might not be totally in touch with how the business interacts with the customer, um, like the the high CEO, CFO, and a lot of times they're not taking into account these smaller people in the company. And, uh, and it seems to really um, hit them in a bad spot. And I've seen where, you know, whole floors and stuff will walk out just because they're tired of, you know, 
being the the guinea pigs in a way. Um, but when you're doing like a rebranding or branding, how how involved do you get like those smaller people, like the employees and stuff like that? This is a great question, Johnny, and it is a challenge that our clients bring to us often. And the way, and definitely, it's something that has to be considered. These 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 rebrands cannot be done in a vacuum and then suddenly just unleashed on the team without any notification, without any warning, especially if it's a dramatic shift and there are entrenched. Um, perceptions and, and culture. So what we typically do is number one, we have to have buy-in at the top. So the, the C-suite must be fully engaged and fully supportive of what's happening because ultimately they have to be the ones that support and that uh, and drive the adoption from the top. That said, what we'll often do is we will, we will start involving the team, the entire team, uh, or as much of the team as the client feels needs to be involved through surveys. So that's a matter of making sure that everyone knows what's happening. Okay, we are going through a rebrand and here's why. Here's how it's gonna make your life better. Here's how it's gonna make your job easier. And we'd like to get your input and here's, a questionnaire or a survey that we want everyone to fill out so that we can get your voice involved in what we're doing. Beyond that, there's also these other layers within the organization, right? That sometimes there are various business units that also have to be considered and that don't want to just be handed a toolkit and forced to use it. So there is definitely a fine line between getting everybody involved and having too many cooks in the kitchen. So it's kind of a strategic balance of, of making everyone feel like they're part of the process and like they're invested in the process without exposing the process to uh, an enormous amount of feedback that just can't be managed. But having said that, there are certain key stakeholders that should probably be involved in some key reviews and key milestones as the brand develops. Again, trying to keep that process contained to a very small, tight group of people can backfire. Hey, I have another, so another situation. So in my company, um, we just acquired a pretty big, like former competitor of ours. And uh, my, my layman experience with, uh, branding before our discussion right now, Dave, was uh, the logo, which is once again why I thought the logo was the answer. <laughs> um, but I mean, we just acquired a pretty substantial company, a number, you know, um, I don't remember what the number of employees is, but um, and we're bringing them on to our brand, going from their brand to our brand. Have you ever dealt with acquisition branding um, and, and like what's the eccentricity, the, the difficulties of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> It's, it's, that is dangerous territory if it's not really wisely managed. Um, there is no one solution, unfortunately, that fits for all organizations when it comes to M&A. You, you just kind of have to have a, uh, a, a frank and open discussion about the strategy, what it is that this new organization 
is or what the, the new unified organization is going to be able to deliver that it couldn't deliver before. And then from a brand perspective, how do you marry these two disparate cultures under a single umbrella? And that again, kind of goes back to that brand strategy. And whenever there is a big acquisition like that, typically if there is already a solid brand strategy in place for an organization that is in the M&A business at all, it will have something of a brand architecture solution built into it. So that means that there will be um, some decision trees, there will be some uh, key formulas when it comes to how we deal with the secondary uh, or, or the partner company logos. Are we a house of brands or are we a branded house? Are we going to absorb that company and do away with their brand identity? Are we going to keep it if we do? How do we manage that? It's a complicated question. It's a complicated situation. And it just is, is different for each and, uh, and every company that we work with. We just recently uh, rebrand or didn't rebrand, we branded from the ground up a company that was the merger of three different organizations spread across the globe into a single new entity. And it involved everything from the new brand strategy that would dominate or serve as a foundation for all of these companies to a new name, uh, a completely new visual identity and verbal identity, that the whole brand package, right? And so that was the most recent example of a, you know, challenging but very exciting uh, opportunity to really unify these three companies as one. But it doesn't always go well. And it's, it's, sometimes, <laughs> it's sometimes a lengthy process. We're also working with uh, John Deere right now on mm -hmm. their employer brand. They're having some struggles with, uh, I wouldn't say struggles, they're, they're actually doing a pretty good job, but they're, they're really trying to dial it in so that the companies they have acquired feel like they are a part of what's happening and can be recognized for their accomplishments within Deere. Whereas right now there is a bit of a wall, if you will, that uh, precludes them from recognizing those achievements as much as they would like. So we're working with them right now on creating an employer brand that will then allow them to really recognize and celebrate those uh, sub-brands. Probably not surprisingly, that sounded far more complicated than I had previously thought possible. So uh, I'm glad that somebody <laughs> out there is working on these uh, these problems and that I get to do my little computer coding um, in, in peace. Uh, I wish <laughs> like you to help uh, in healthcare right now because it's a disaster. But uh, anyway, yeah. can, can we get yeah, can you can you do branding for a whole segment of the economy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so a couple other. So you've talked about all the different. I'm, I'm not all, but you you've discussed lots of different aspects of of branding and and um, so obviously this is a multifaceted, you know, uh, endeavor. So when you you have graphical people, you have people who's focused on. I'm guessing marketing messaging, advertising, te you know, text. Um, 
are these teams, do they work siloed? You know, I guess, you know, between the text and the graphics and all the different various aspects of this, um, how does that work? Yeah, so we call it pictures and words. Okay. <laughs> we, 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 we simplify it down to its uh, lowest common denominator, pictures and words. It sounds a lot more simple than it actually is, but uh, I'll start by saying that, so, so first of all, our agency was a graphic design studio to begin with. So it was all about pictures, all about graphics, all about design to begin with. And, and over time, we've evolved to become a, a branding agency. So creativity, the, the graphic design side of things is very much at the heart of what we do. And if you look at our portfolio, it's it, it shows like we're, we're very much um, passionate we're very passionate about creativity and about the design work that we do. So it's, I'll just point out that the, the, the pictures and words in reality, what they are is they are the expression of the brand strategy that we've developed for any company. So that goes back to that first category of branding, right? That I mentioned that the, the brand strategy, once that foundation is laid, the designers, the writers, their job is now to take that strategy and that narrative that we've developed for the company and bring it to life in a way that truly reflects that strategy externally. And the way that that happens is actually in parallel. So our creative team, our design team, and our writing uh, team, our writers, they work together side by side along the same parallel paths, developing the visual and verbal identities of the brands that we're creating or rebranding. Okay. Does that answer the question? It does. It does very well. Um, so what kind of educational, it makes sense, I guess. So graphical design, like you said, your background with, with graphical design, um, is that you, so you hire for the, the, the graphics team and then you hire for the, uh, the, text team, the words team, <laughs> what, what, uh, what kind of background do you need for, for that? Or, or even if you want to move up in a branding agency, you know, do you need to have a MBA? Like what, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it's so hilarious. It, okay. So our, our industry is insane. It is the wild <laughs> west. Um, I, I love I love this question. I think we're the only industry where <laughs> someone like me can walk into a well, let's just say a virtual meeting with the CEO of a Fortune 100 company in in a hoodie, unshaven, and <laughs> chugging a Red Bull, and totally get away with. It. Not only would I get away with it, but it would score points. Like, oh, that guy's creative. <laughs> it's I'm it's not, hysterical. I'm not usually <laughs> in the doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go as well in in the uh, yeah at, at the in the operating room. <laughs> Stay away from sugary drinks, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, we we get away with a lot over here. We have a lot of fun. It's it's a wild ride for sure. But to answer your question, Carl, so if if you're if you're coming if you're coming to a creative agency as a graphic designer, there's a high likelihood that you have studied graphic design, either at college or at like an art institute, or there's even portfolio schools out there that are just specifically looking at honing your skills as a designer. That being said, 
at our agency, we have account managers, producers, we have brand strategists, copywriters, we have designers, visual designers, UX strategists, developers. And I can tell you that in my nearly 20 years in the business, I don't know that I have ever looked at or confirmed that anyone went to school anywhere or had any degree whatsoever. It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It, it's, it's so irrelevant to what we do as a creative wow. firm that I don't even look at it. It's just, it's not important. Yeah. So we have, for example, and people come to this profession from so many different avenues. We had a brand strategist who studied, who, who had a degree in um, political science, was a professional dancer and worked for Homeland Security before becoming a brand strategist. That just goes to show you how the, the, the pathway the to, yeah, the, exactly. It's the pathway to becoming a, a branding professional typically doesn't happen in uh, very predictable ways. So um, that's funny because, I mean, uh, of the other people on this call with you, Dave, <laughs> there's a pretty predictable path to become a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. there's only one path to become a doctor, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, well, there's some people that call themselves doctors that might not be. But that's <laughs> right. <for> another <laughs> <laughs> different podcast, different podcast. Um, and then as Doctors, you know, a computer, yes. Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, I think that's his first name, right? Doc, Mr. Dre, Doc. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, so so no no particular background required. Uh, so when they're coming yeah. in and they're interviewing. Uh, or, or I guess the interview would be pretty simple. Like you, you need to. How do you identify a, a creative person, the person that's going to fit with yeah. with um, with your team, yeah. based on no particular set of prior qualifications? Yeah. How do you, how well, do you advertise to try to find the right person for the job, and then how do you figure out if it's the right person? Yeah. A hoodie. Wait, wait. I, did you say a hoodie? chugging a monster is that i mean i got this i'm ready for this i'm ready for this interview dave I'm... yes those, those are the requirements for the position that's right okay uh yeah so typical so, so first of all the the how someone shows up in an interview is a, is a huge part of the process so what we do is so heavily uh dependent on collaboration and camaraderie that it's really important to me to find really good people when we hire. And I'm not talking about people that are good at what they do. I'm a genuinely good people who are kind, who are um, passionate about what they do, who are, are just lovely human beings. And that's, that's a huge, a huge part of it. Um, I also look for, for people who have some fairly unique backgrounds. So they come from a different background or perspective than, than the rest of us. So they bring some, some fresh uh, thinking to our, to our clients work. But, you know, 
the most important thing, especially, you know, kind of bringing it back to the graphic design side of things, the most important thing for a graphic designer or for anyone looking to break into the creative profession in an advertising agency, a design studio, a branding agency is the portfolio. It, it almost all comes down to the portfolio, the resume. Well, I, I'll say this, the resume is important, but not for the reasons you would think. So I open a resume, not because I'm interested in where they went to school or hey, I'm interested in the work history, but primarily because I want to see how much attention they paid to the details of the layout of their resume. So it, it's, it's, it's a very different set of criteria when it comes to, to hiring creative. You want to you see that passion in the details of, of their work and the details of their resume. And of course, their past experience, if we're looking for someone who is senior level or director level, then we want to see some relevant experience right. as well. But uh, yeah, it has much less to do with education than it does with experience and talent. That makes sense. I mean, obviously, for the creativity aspects of it, it obviously flies in the face of my experience where, uh, you know, if you can't, uh, you know, point at your generally your degree computer science you can kind of get away sometimes without a degree but then you gotta have a lot of work experience and then it's also you know what what coding uh competitions have you won and and then it's very scientifically like answer this question are you familiar with these concepts it's very much like step 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 um it's funny though my my wife had an experience she wasn't uh you know uh, wasn't interviewing for an advertising firm but uh she was uh, she's a hairstylist. Her first time she got a uh, a job as a hairstylist, she submitted her resume and she submitted down this kind of gray colored paper. And that is the reason she got the job. Got the job. That's right. That was it. Branding, because personal branding. Exactly. The, the, <laughs> the, the uh, owner of the salon said, I, I was going through a bunch of resumes, all just on white paper, came across yours. Boom. Done. So uh, <laughs> I get that, man. I get that's a creative. That's a creative profession. So yeah. absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to show a little bit of flair, you yeah. know, a, a little bit of eccentricity when it comes to the resume stand out? Right. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah that's uh, uh, start printing them off on gray paper and putting some stickers on them. You know, I'm a <laughs> so it's part of the brand. <laughs> Good luck with that, Johnny. I'm, uh, I guess as a pediatrician, some stickers couldn't hurt, though. <laughs> right, stickers. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that my so my wife owns a business. She is uh, a, she's a speech therapist um, by training, and she owns a pediatric therapy clinic here in San Diego. And it's it's always uh, just so interesting to me the stark contrast between our two businesses um and one of them is the hiring side like for her it's all about okay do you have this degree and this license and that's pretty much 90 percent of the battle right there whereas on our right. side it's like i don't care if we have a degree and no license is required although maybe it should be but <laughs> it's so different yeah, yeah that's really for sure Okay, um, you've already got into a little bit about success stories. You, you mentioned John Deere and, and some of the successes they're having, things that they're going to. What are what are some instances that you've dealt with where where branding's made a huge difference? Where where like they've they've seen you know the, the potential of a, of a great brand. Oh wow, 
So many, so many cases. Um, I'll try to, I'll try to share one that's more fresh and recent. Sure. You know, we had, I, what I would say is one of the most memorable and fulfilling branding engagements of our agency history last year. And it's continuing into this year. This is one of these clients where it started with a project base and now it's moving into a, a long-term relationship. Uh, it, NASA's official visitor center in Houston called Space Center Houston. We had an opportunity to come in and completely rebrand an organization that had not been rebranded since its original launch 30 years ago. So some, some 90s text in there. We got, uh, isn't oh, this man. hip? Or <laughs> <laughs> it, it had a very late 80s, early 90s vibe to it. It was so outdated. Everything just was so disconnected from, well, disconnected not just from what's happening in the space industry right now. When you think about how that industry is completely transformed over the past 10 years as uh, commercial uh, companies have, have come in, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, you know, Blue Origin, they've come in and, and all of a sudden this industry is, a, is completely changed. And Space Center still looked like it was hanging out in, yeah, the, the early 90s. So, um, and on top of that, I mentioned earlier how many of the clients that we engage with their problem is that their reputation hasn't kept up with their reality. The reality for Space Center was they had this just monumental vision for what they were going to do with their campus over the next three to five to 10 years in creating what would ultimately become and will ultimately become the, the, uh, the hub for all space exploration training and experimentation. And so it was a chance for us to come in and take that vision and, and that spirit of exploration and really inject it into their brand strategy and their overall visual identity and just completely transform that organization from the ground up. And it was an incredibly um, successful and uh, and fulfilling experience. Great team to work with, and ultimately the result of that has been that they just have an enormous amount of momentum, both internally and externally. So that brand has not only transformed how they're seen externally, but it also just completely rejuvenated morale and and culture internally. And they had their highest attendance. Um, number. They hit their highest attendance number of all time on December, I want to say 28th or something like that. So it was uh -huh. a, yeah, an enormous, an enormous success. And it just continues to, uh, to keep building. That's awesome. Okay. All right. So that's a great success story. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm, so I'm not going to ask for a failure. I'm going to assume that this, I'm not asking for someone that's failed as a result of, of the work that you've done, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> the reason that they're coming to you is that their, their brand has failed so spectacularly mm -hmm. that they're, then they're in a tough situation. And, and 
I guess, can you share any instances where like there, where the branding has just gone so awry that, uh, that this company is on the point of, of a knife, you know, like they, they, uh, <clears throat> not even like nineties text is the least of their problems uh maybe their mm-hmm. brand you know maybe their branding became uh socially completely not okay right M- maybe it's something like that anyway mm-hmm. any, mm-hmm. any instances of something uh where where the the branding was just a complete fail you can't use our podcast as an example <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah. let me think Please for don't. a second here let me think uh, johnny would give our podcast as an example um so maybe maybe this podcast really is all just about us and uh so for example what words would you pick for us <laughs> so okay i've got an example for you and it's and it's not it's it's not a uh it's very public and 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 well publicized and and we weren't the only ones involved in the um, revitalization of this brand by any stretch. So uh, I, I'm going to go back to our, our original client, and they're still a client today. It's Microsoft. So Microsoft went through, I want to say it was the early 2000s. They went through a pretty serious crisis. Uh, you may or may not remember this or, or have heard about this, and I'm probably just dating myself, but th- there was a time when they were on the, the verge of irrelevance. Uh, they, had, they, had, they had invited or attracted the wrath of the government with antitrust suits. They, they, had, just, they had just developed this perception as an evil empire. And it, it was a, not only that, but their brand was just a hot, hot mess. They were all over the place. There was very little cohesion to what was happening. And so we actually, I, I know that because we, they didn't come to us with this problem. It was a problem that we were trying to resolve as we worked with them during that time. And it was only when Satya came on board and, and took the helm that things started to turn around. So he just completely transformed the organization from the bottom up, right? From a, from a brand strategy perspective, their approach completely changed to being a customer obsessed organization. So it really humanized what they do and what their goals are. And then from there, it was a matter of taking that, that new strategy and that new approach and, and living it across all aspects and, and parts of their organization. And so they went from, from being a, what looked like a, a, a ancient stodgy company to what they are today, which is a, a, an innovation leader in their space. And I might say a very well-oiled brand machine as well. Everything now fits together as a brand family in the Microsoft universe. So that's that was a very heavy lift. And like I said, we were a part of that, but we were not alone. There were a lot of agencies that played a role in bringing that cohesion uh, to the Microsoft brand. But man, they were in trouble. I, I don't know when this fits in the timeline. I do remember some of my relatively early, obviously everyone got exposed to Microsoft very young, in, or at least anyone 
50 and younger got exposed to Microsoft pretty young. Uh, but some of my first like computer science exposure to Microsoft was uh, the Steve Ballmer led um, <laughs> like cheer fests at these developer. No! Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Where he's like dancing around on stage and he's all sweaty and he's shouting developers, developers, developers. Yeah. I mean, it became they I think they made like this is one of the first like YouTube viral hits, uh, oh, at least yeah. among the. Yeah. So I mean, the first meme, the first meme. ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mr. Ballmer must have been a great person to work on with branding. <laughs> Luckily, I uh, never had the pleasure of working with him directly, although I'm sure okay. he's a great guy. But uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. that, I think it, I think it's a great example of just the personality of the company. And right. how it changed because you went from that, which was very much a uh, conquer the world revenue generating machine to uh, Satya, who takes a much more intellectual and um, thoughtful right. approach to to what Microsoft does today. But that's yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a, it's a perfect <laughs> case in point of what was right. wrong back then. Yes. Or, or very right, Dave. I mean, we, we need to consider the alternative that this was epically wonderful because it lives in our culture still. Uh, but yes, as a company, I'm sure they uh, they needed all the help they could get. But uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Google, when they came out there, I think it was more of an internal um, mantra than anything else, but it was do no evil. Mm -hmm. And or was that Facebook? I can't remember which of the two it was, right. but at any rate, it was I, I'm pretty sure a direct reaction to what was happening <laughs> at Microsoft. We're, we are not going to be them. We are going to be the good guys. So, right. But Satya did a great job of turning that ship around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I am grateful as a, as a person that my codes uh, with Microsoft products every day. Good mm -hmm. job. <laughs> They're great. Um, They're killing it. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple other questions here. So you've you've kind of alluded to this already, but um, I'm sure both. I mean, this question might have different answers depending on where companies are. But measure measuring branding ROI has to be an important mm -hmm. element for for you know startups and the Fortune 100 or whatever. How what does that look like? How how do you measure branding ROI? Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. You know, it's branding is not a tangible uh, element. It's it's not like PPC or, or some other tactic that is very easy to, you know, follow the metrics and and see exactly what the results are. Uh, on top of that, a, a brand is not exactly something that that we can control either. Um, Marty Newmeyer, who was kind of a, a titan uh, in our space and, and wrote a great book. Uh, he has a quote that's pretty famous, and, and it is that uh, a brand is not what you say it is. It's what they say it is. So as much as we can try and present or, or build a, a brand identity for a company, ultimately, it's their customers who determine what their brand actually is. So there, there's very little control when it comes to a brand. But uh, all that said, um, if we're talking about a rebrand of a company, then we'll often measure things like 
brand perception or brand awareness or brand preference, both pre and post launch. And so that gives us some idea uh, of the impact that that project has had. Now, the, the tricky part is there's so many nuances when it comes to measuring brand effectiveness. The tricky part is that a lot of those results will also be dependent on the go-to-market strategy of the company. So it doesn't matter if it's the most poignant brand ever created. If it doesn't have the, the commitment, the, the resources, and the budget behind it to activate it, it's just going to fall flat. Mm. So a successful brand is, is the result of, of uh, not just the dedication of the, the team and, and um, the launch itself, but it's also about making sure to uh, really activate it in a way that's, that's effective. Put the money behind it, put, put the investment behind it to get it out there and, and to let it do its job. Um, that said, we do, say, we do see three specific things that we believe are the results of any successful branding project. Um, the first is that it expresses the spirit and vision of the organization uh, in, in a way that clearly conveys its uniqueness. Uh, number two, it, it, it arms the organization with the tools necessary to market, to go to market, and uh, to communicate with uh, audiences and to, to expand. And then finally, it, number three, it enriches and uh, inspires their employees and makes their lives easier. Now, those are all intangible benefits and results of a branding project, but they really are kind of the most important components and results. Yeah, but I'd imagine <clears throat> that, that and when you're trying to sell branding services or, or branding uh, that it, that having those enumerated like this is these are the ways that you're going to see success because like you said you can't control all aspects of it whether or not they actually make the brand launch you know fully put the resources behind it do all the other things you can't control but you can control you know the the aspects of it that that are uh, that are on your side and so you know probably nice to have a way that you can measure how well your company did versus how well the company that you are consulting with you know how, what maybe the, the ball was dropped on their side so mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah no, that's right that's right um yeah it's it's um what was i going to say it's usually we don't have to sell branding too hard so mm -hmm. when when someone when a client comes to us or when a company comes to us they usually are pretty on board with the idea of either branding themselves or rebranding themselves. Sure. So luckily we don't find ourselves in the, in the position where we have to convince uh, people that they need a rebrand, although maybe we should look into doing that more often. Um, <laughs> well, that's what this podcast is for, David. You've convinced you me. I mean, we clearly speaking of actually, we've got a, a number of uh, Canadian listeners, but no Northern Canadian like real, I mean, I'm not sure how many people live in North Canada, but for those people specifically, Dave, what mm -hmm. can I do? What brand do I need to pitch to the the you know the Northern Canadians? We, we don't work. We don't work with Canadians. <laughs> it's just a it's just a hard it's just a hard rule for us. The line we won't cross. 
Okay. Okay. Well, that's you know we've got. Uh, I'm I'm sure they appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> it's been a better. Yeah, yeah. We, we we've got international listeners. We've got a lot of listeners in India and UK. I'm imagining these principles are are global principles, right? These are um, you know the all the stuff that we've talked about applies across across global organizations as well as you know lo- small you know relatively regional companies. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's, I mean, there's obviously differences, um, differences in, in when it comes to culture and cultural considerations, if you're branding a company in India versus a company in Canada. Um, but generally speaking these days in the global economy that we live, everyone recognizes the need for a brand identity. You just you just can't be successful. At least you can't be as successful as you can. You can't reach your full potential unless you are operating with a, a, a strong brand identity, which gives you the foundation and the framework for growth. Doesn't yeah. matter where you are. So uh, along those lines, then, are you seeing growth? Um, I, I guess this is a, a multifaceted question, which is ambiguous enough that it's the kind of question I like to ask, <clears throat> which take it however you want it. Uh, mm-hmm. Where is your seeing companies seeing growth? Uh, and then that could mean like in what markets or what part, what globally, you know, what uh, what mm-hmm. level of company? Where, what are you guys seeing in, in what what uh, was happening with branding in, in your company? Sure, sure. Well, so we, we work primarily with North American companies. Um, not a lot of work overseas. So I can really only speak to what we're seeing in North America. And what I would say is, again, going back to brand strategy, companies are recognizing that having a purpose and having brand values are critical to, critical to all aspects of their business from recruitment to revenue. So, uh, for example, we have a, uh, an ag tech client in San Francisco. Um, they are a, a small business doing amazing work, but they are competing with the behemoths up there, the, the, the Googles, the Metas, uh, for top tier engineering and developer talent. They are relatively unknown. They their compensation packages are not on par with what those massive corporations can offer. And yet they are eating their lunch on the recruitment side of things. And the reason they are is because they, and and we helped them to, to rebrand a couple of years ago, they have clearly established their brand values and their purpose as an organization and intelligent aspiring young talented professionals out there especially the generation the younger generation that's coming into the workforce now they are far less concerned about salary about compensation than they are about having a positive impact and working for a company that shares and reflects their values. Mm-hmm. So they would they would much rather go to work for this company that is, is transforming agriculture, that is saving the planet, 
and that truly could solve uh, hunger, worldwide hunger, through their innovations and their technology. And they, they look at that. They look at that opportunity. They look at the opportunity to actually go out into a field, get their, their boots muddied, and, uh, and, and actually have hands-on experience with the, the tools and technology that they're building. And that's where they want to be. So that's, that's a huge – employer brand is a huge growing area that we see right now in our business, uh, along with just so many companies desperately needing to articulate their brand strategy. Hmm. It's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's interesting to hear you put a lot of these things into words because I've worked at like a lot of different places in undergrad and before undergrad and, uh, and then at several different hospital areas and clinics. And it's interesting to hear you put into words the things that I feel like really matter in a company. Um, and you know, branding and how important it is. And, um, and I, think it, I think it's really important uh, for employee, um, you know, how the employees feel, but also for the customer. And, um, and then it kind of, I, I always feel like, you know, a lot of people think, think things like trickle down from the top, but I really feel like it starts at the bottom and then kind of works its way up as far as you know, whether the employees are happy and doing their job and easy to recruit. Like if it's easy to recruit those bottom people, then uh, immediately the mid-level people are easy to recruit because they want to work there and they want to be in that position because they're going to be working with happy employees. Like who wouldn't want to work there? Um, and then it makes everybody happy at top um, as well. So anyway, it's just interesting to hear you put into words things that I've had in my head for years and years, but have never really thought about um, in words. Yeah, that, that's good to hear, Johnny. And it's, uh, it's a new world that we live in today. And I think that all of this was accelerated by the pandemic, frankly. Um, I think the pandemic really introduced a new freedom and perhaps a new spirit of um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, just goodness. You know, pe people mm. want to do good with their lives and with their careers. It's not it's not enough anymore to be a company that just, you know, is bottom line, making, right? Making money, making money, making money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bu building widgets, sell them, make money, build more widgets, sell them, make more money. It These days... Uh, it's just not going to cut it. You, you yeah. have got to have uh, a deeper purpose. And it doesn't mean that your company has to be trying to save the world. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. It, you just need to have a, a very clear, art, clearly articulated mission and vision. And then that mission and vision have to be baked into your brand identity and all of your messaging and the way that you show up for your employees and the way that you show up for your community and for your customers. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's critical. Yeah. This is all really insightful because like Johnny said, I've, you know, you have these anecdotal experiences um, and I don't know that the companies that I've worked for have all branded super well, but my current company has certainly over the years grown into their brand. 
and uh, and, and you know when you're going when you have a very consistent ba- brand, you have a consistent culture, and then and then you don't like a, an employee like myself doesn't want to leave. You know, it's it's uh, you you it becomes part of you. You know, it's like uh, anyway. So this is this is great. Um, okay, couple two more two more questions I think Dave before we wrap up here. Shoot. Uh, so right. you started by drawing bugs in Atlanta. <laughs> you now run your own design company. Do you still get to draw bugs? I mean, do you still get to, you know, like be creative? Yeah, you know what, Carl? Uh, yes. The answer to that question is unequivocally yes, but just in a very different way than I used to. The only design work that I do these days is for just one client. And She's downstairs. Right? <laughs> Worst client I've ever had. She's never paid a single bill. <laughs> right. So, right. yeah, no, I, I, uh, there's kind of a, a pros and cons to this. Um, and I appreciate the question because it, it does strike at, at something that's, that's been very personal to me, which is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a designer at heart. That's, I'm a graphic designer and I love graphic design. I love creating. I love that whole process. Uh, but yeah, as a as an agency owner, it's it's probably been at least five years since I actually designed anything, and probably more than that. So I, I do miss that. Um, but on the other hand, I I now have the opportunity to work with, to hire and work with incredibly talented young designers and and guide them and give them opportunities to do work, to do great work. And what I get to see is outcome, outcomes and, uh, and, and, and work that is far more inspiring and, and far better than anything that I ever would have created. So there is a great deal of, of satisfaction that comes from having a team of incredibly talented, wonderful people who do amazing work. And uh, even though I'm not the one doing it, I still feel a great amount of pride at uh, everything that comes out of our agency. Right. Yeah. Different kind of, kind of creative process, I guess, but still, uh, still gratifying. And uh, I'd imagine uh, you get to help a lot of other creative people be creative and that's got to feel good too. Right. So (laughs) That's it. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've I've been able to see young designers blossom into incredible, uh, just world class designers. And uh, I mean, yeah, what a what a great blessing and uh, an opportunity it is to to be a part of that journey. Okay. And I'm, uh, sometimes, you know, they'll create something, and you're like, wow, I didn't think about doing it that way. You know, and it. And in one way, like being in a managerial spot, it helps you be more creative because you see a broader range of things than when you're kind of pigeonholed in just one little area. Um, So I bet if you did have to go back to the drawing board that you'd have a lot more tools, you know, uh, things to do that, Mm -hmm. but you you don't need to, um, and you're in a different place. Um, But anyway, that's... I'm sure you see stuff that you get surprised by all the time. <laughs> that's that's spot on, Johnny. It's it was probably one of the hardest things that I had to understand or to learn as I kind of transitioned from the doer 
to the manager. And I think this is probably universal in some ways to all of us, but at some point you have to understand that as a manager, that there are more than one way, there's more than one way to solve a problem. And when you're just making that transition and you're still in that micromanagerial mindset and you want to just grab the pencil or whatever and do it yourself and do it the way you would do it, it's tough to let go and just see things develop. And then over time you realize, oh, that was actually a really incredible approach. What a great solution. What a great idea and probably better than what I had envisioned to begin with. So yeah, it's been really gratifying to be able to see so many unique ideas. And let's be honest, man, I'm I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So I've got all these great young people around me that are just tapped into uh, trends and, and tapped into culture. And they're creating these experiences that shoot, I could, I could never create, you know, I, I'm able to help ensure that those experiences are on strategy in terms of our clients overall vision and what they need to accomplish. But I stay out of the way because they're just mm-hmm. doing amazing things. Okay. That's a, that seems like a great way to end the podcast, except I want, so it's Traina. Well, what's the website for the, the, your company? So it's wearetraina.com. And my last name is just spelled train with an A on the end. And my email address, if anybody has any questions, wants to reach out, feel free. It's just David at. Okay. Awesome. Well, much appreciated, Dave. This has been great. I think I need to get working on a logo. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most important part of your brand, Carl. (laughs) That's what I took away here. I mean, no. uh, This has been great. Third. What, Johnny? The visual identity. It's a third of it. (laughs) 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 Awesome. Well, once again, thanks, Dave. This has been great. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll check back in with you sometime in the future. And and, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.